Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. All right, we're going to get started here. Um, I'm going to pray, and uh, we have a small group today, which is good. It's still very intimate now, but I'm sure this place will fill up, so that's okay, too. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord God, we thank you uh, for this Lord's Day. We thank you for safely bringing us here today, uh, that we would continue to worship you with your, uh, together as your people, um, that again, uh, we come to worship you in spirit and in truth uh, through your son, Jesus Christ, because of the gospel, uh, that you have called us and you've redeemed us and you've saved us unto yourself, and that we have this privilege not only of prayer, but of fellowship, of hearing your word preached, of singing uh, songs of praise to you, uh, and to ask and pray for your help that we would bless you. Especially as we approach Thanksgiving, uh, we, are, uh, all we, we know again that it's normal for us to give thanks to you every single day, all the time. That we are, uh, we, you've blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and that we have a reason to rejoice in your generosity and your kindness and your goodness to people who only deserve your wrath. And so we thank you again for our, this time together. Uh, we ask and pray you would bless uh, our, the, the things we talk about, that you would guide me. Uh, and this, again, the Lord, that, um, that again, it's, it's honoring and pleasing to you. So we ask these things this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome back. It's been a couple weeks. And uh, we're on the same chapter, but we have a kind of like part two. And if you have the, um, the electronics version, that's kind of what you'd be looking at. It's kind of like we're in the middle of that section. And I have some uh, handouts up here, the hard copies. And so if you uh, don't have one of those, I encourage you to go ahead and uh, get one of those. And before we jump back into the story, a couple things is that uh, some people were asking about a couple, on a while back, about we talked about the assurance of salvation, and I made reference to Joel Beakey's book, uh, Knowing and Growing in the Assurance of Faith. And this is a fabulous, fabulous resource, so I'd encourage you again, if uh, I'll remember Pilgrim's Progress is doing a lot with the issue of assurance. And so this is a great resource, maybe you want to get that for Christmas or just, you know, whenever you want to do that. Um, also, Jenny Dyes uh, sent me a link to that. Um, I don't know if you can see this up here, probably not. But it says in the bottom here, get your Pilgrim's Progress trivia game in time for Thanksgiving. <laughs> All right, so a lot of times with Thanksgiving, you know, you're not really quite sure what to do. I mean, hopefully there's lots of things to do. But plain trivia, Pilgrim's Progress trivia. Uh, this is actually put together by uh, Revelation uh, Media. They're the ones who did the, the, the last kind of major version of Pilgrim's Progress that was in the theaters. So you go to their website, and I know what you, I guess you sign up and like that, but supposedly this is tons of fun. And so you can, uh, maybe you've learned a lot, and maybe not. And, and then maybe that would help you in the future when we go through stuff we haven't we talked about yet. So anyway, that's there you go. You have something you can... Uh, tap into to entertain your family and friends. All right, so let's talk about uh, where we've been and where we're going here. Uh, our pilgrim, Christian, 
Uh, he was in Palace Beautiful. He left Palace Beautiful, which represents the church, and then he went down into the Valley of Humiliation. And uh, we talked about last time, this, uh, this is the epic battle. This is the dramatic scene where you know, a Christian faces off against Apollyon, right? Against the devil, against uh, Satan in this fiendish form, right? And it's a fierce, it's a fierce battle. It's kind of very dramatic. And um, anyone remember, we talked about, you know, his ploys. I was going to bring some, some actual, some, uh, I was going to ask you some questions and give you some, some, uh, some prizes because toys rhymes with ploys. But then it's like Satan, so it would be Satan toys. No, okay. So I went to Walmart. I was trying. I was looking around. So I'm still working on adequate rewards, okay, that are not compromised by the devil. Um, so they're ploys, okay. So what are the strategies that, you, if you remember, two weeks ago that Satan tried to use against Christian that you remember? His satanic ploys. Try to accuse him of, you know, doing this or that sin and saying he's unworthy because of it. Yeah, that, that was kind of like the big one right there. We talked about Satan be the, the accuser of the brethren. And uh, so he brings up all the, the, the failures, all the sins that, that uh, Christian had already done. <clears throat> Basically saying, you've been unfaithful to your king. Uh, you're not worthy to be his follower. Uh, look how you failed him over and over and over again. And uh, so therefore you should just give up, right? And that, again, that's a very, very common tactic that Satan uses in our life. He's the accuser of the brethren. He keeps up bringing, bringing to our lives to remind us how you failed God, how you've sinned, what you've done, sins of, of commission, sins of omission, right? And basically saying, of course, that you're really not a true pilgrim. Uh, what else do you remember from that? You guys got to work on this. You used to be part of my kingdom, but I'll forgive you. If you come back, I'll give you everything. So very similar to how we tempted Christ. Yeah, yeah. Uh, bow down to me, worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth, right? Take a shortcut. You don't have to do the cross. And we talked about, again, is that the temptation that every man has a price, right? That, again, if you will stop being a Christian and have to deal with uh, sacrifice and hardship and difficulties in the way of the cross, um, there's the easy way, right? Again, you can have your cake and eat it too, Right, with a lot of world religions, that's, that's kind of what they do. They're saying you can have heaven and just pretty much have all the pleasures of this life and God's going to forgive you anyway or you'll work off your salvation some way, etc. What else? Okay, you can go back and read it, all right? But you, the point here is that uh, the first part of the battle, uh, if you remember, they finally do this duke out uh, and they, it's, again, it's spiritual and it's, uh, it's allegorical, but... Uh, Christian prevails, though again, he, he's badly wounded, he's beaten up, uh, there's a struggle that happens there, and at the end, he's healed, all right? God basically brings him to a place uh, where he experiences healing spiritually, emotionally, physically, and you think, well, great, you know, he's, uh, Christian has endured the worst, and so now it's going to be something pleasant, it's going to be something nice, right? It's going to be some kind of, uh, um, uh, you know, something that's going to be good, all right? And no. Okay, so he's going to go from the Valley of Humiliation into the Valley of the Shadow of Death. All right, so wow, that sounds great. And so I've got there on your outline, you got page 11. And so the title of this is Christian Goes into the Valley of the Shadow of Death, of course, taken from uh, Psalm 23. And it says in the text, now at the end of the Valley of Humiliation was the, the Valley of the Shadow of Death. 
Christian needed to go through it because it was the only way to the celestial city. Now, this valley was a very solitary place. The prophet Jeremiah thus describes it, quote, a wilderness, a land of deserts and of pits, a land of drought and, a, uh, and the shadow of death, a land that no man but a Christian passed through and where no man dwelt. And I've got a little footnote on the, uh, if you can see in the bottom there for that point here, it says the valley of the shadow of death teaches us an important lesson about the Christian life. It is possible for believers who are following the way and walking according to God's will to go through dark and difficult days. They may go through times, even seasons, of severe, severe oppression and trial. The valley can be long. Christian plods on for several miles and dis, is disconsolate for some considerable time. How are we to follow Christ when the days are dark and we are so confounded and perplexed that we don't know what to do? In those times, we must not look to our own strength and understanding. We must walk as, as Christian, praying always and pressing on in the strength of the Lord. As we walk by faith, trusting in the promises of God's word, we will be encouraged. And though we may not see it, in God's kindness, our, uh, our perseverance will be an encouragement to others to press on as well. Now, I'm always intrigued by this section. Um, there's, I'm intrigued by a lot of things in this book, but this is an interesting one to me. Because a lot of times when we think about spiritual warfare, we think about uh, you know, the spiritual world and things like that. Um, the first part, the valley of humiliation, is one we usually think about. You know, Satan, uh, demons, uh, you know, that kind of stuff right here. And this is actually an interesting one because it's directed about um, the, our thoughts, thinking. Uh, the, the things that are, again, that we don't really t think about when we think about spiritual warfare is that how Satan can influence um, our thinking. Because uh, we don't talk about our thinking a lot. The Bible talks a lot about, about our thinking, about our mind. This whole thing about, you think of Romans 12, you know, let our, your mind being transformed by the, by the renewal, by the word of God. Uh, it talks about being sober-minded. We heard that this morning in, in the, um, our prayer time. Um, set your mind on things above and so on and so forth. But again, we don't spend a lot of time, it seems like, in discipling or in, uh, a lot of times in talking about um, the importance of the mind as far as how we think, and especially it relates to spiritual warfare. So on page uh, 12 of your outline, it, it says on here, it's interesting that Bunyan will say, Bunyan will say, when, what Christian faced here was worse than his fight with Apollyon, as you will see. See, what, what Christian faced here was worse than his fight than with Polyon. So Bunyan says, again, you thought that was bad. Well, this is even worse. All right? So, well, how would it be worse? And so that's what we're going to kind of unpack here as we move on to uh, page 12. So it says here on uh, point A, the second valley represents the struggles and oppression we face in our pilgrimage when we can no longer see, the clear, see clearly the light of the gospel. Truth is shrouded in darkness. Temptation and sin threaten to cast us down. Um, and then there's a couple things we've already read in the passage. If you go down to the, the uh, kind of jump that little paragraph there, it says uh, it's described as a solitary wilderness. And the, the Bunyan and the commentators basically say this seems to be a, a reference to Israel, the wilderness wanderings, uh, their struggles and things like that. Um, it also says here it was mandatory for pilgrims to, to, to traverse. Uh, the only way to the celestial city lies through this valley. Certainly Pliable would have re rebelled at this prospect of this place if not before. None but an authentic pilgrim can understand the severe trials that such a passage brings, which Satan uses to obstruct, and at the same time, God ordains for spiritual growth. In fact, there's a great line in the story 
and I'm, I'm kind of giving you a spoiler here, um, because what's going to happen is that uh, as Christian's about to go into, here's two men come running towards him. So it always seems like there's two guys running the opposite direction. And, um, and so here we go again. I can think, you know. And so uh, there, we're going to talk about, you know, what, you know, cause, uh, Christian say, well, what did you see? You know, what, why are you running? And they're going to say, this is terrible. You know, this is happening. You know, we saw this and so on. Flee for your life. You're all going to die. All right. And in the midst of this terrible description of where they're they're coming from, Christian says this, from what you've said, I believe this is my way to the desired haven. From what you said, again, this is the direction I must go. All right, I just think that's just kind of a matter of fact thing like, oh, it's really bad? Well, that must be the right way then. Because typically in our our thinking would be like, oh, this is really bad. Is there a shortcut, detour, kind of go over it, under it, around it, you know? No, basically Christian says, uh, I, I have to go through. And then finally, the, the third point there is more terrible than the previous valley. We've already made reference, reference to that. And uh, we'll talk about the weapons of, of his warfare uh, in particular here in a little bit. Now, as the very bottom here says, Christian uh, crosses the, the boundary between the valleys. He meets two men who Bunyan describes as descendants of the ten spies in Numbers 13, who lacked faith and gave a bad report. Like the faithless spies, the two men fleeing the valley had turned back in fear, and they encouraged Christian to do the same. If you kind of go on to it, so the question, of course, is what are they, what do they, what do they see? Why are they, why are they fleeing? On page 13, Christian asks this question, what did you see? The minister responds, see, while the valley itself, which is as dark as pitch, pretty dark, we saw hobgoblins, satyrs, and dragons of the pit. We also heard a continual howling and yelling, like people under unutterable, unutterable misery, who sat bound in affliction and chains. And over that valley hangs the discouraging clouds of confusion. Death always spreads his wings over it. In a word, it is in every way dreadful and utterly chaotic. Sounds like a fun place. All right. I mean, this is when, this is bad. I mean, this is literally, again, they're basically saying, this is hell. All right. This is hell. I mean, they're, and by the way, it's actually close to the mouth of hell. I mean, literally, the, he's going to be able to, to, to see the entrance to hell, one of the entrances, actually. And you can imagine how dramatic it is. It's already dark. I mean, it's the darkest pitch, so it's, it's dark. And, and, of course, the symbolism of darkness in as a Christian's going through is very important because there's times where we go, it seems like we're, we're going through a dark place, a dark time in our lives, right? But on top of it, you've got these demons, you've got these creatures that are all symbolic of evil, destruction, uh, they're, they're, they're to do you harm. And uh, so, in other words, your worst-case scenario that's going to, to destroy you is there, so therefore you should uh, don't go that direction. Now, the, to make even things worse, okay, to make even things worse, you think, well, how bad could it continue to be? Is that I'm going to read the, se- uh, the, the text here, and then we'll go back and, and look at it. It says here, I saw in my dream that there was a deep ditch on the right running the entire length of the valley. It is that ditch into which the blind have led the blind in every age, and they have both perished miserably. On the left was a dangerous marsh. If even a good man falls into this, he can find no bottom on which to stand. It was into this bog that King David once fell and would have smothered had he that is able pulled him out. Okay, just stop right there. So again, you think of the path, right? It's already dark, all right? And so you think of, well, I'm just going to just stay on the path, right? Uh, And the path is getting narrower and narrower, 
Okay, is that right? Narrower? Okay, yeah, you get this, you get the idea, right? And so this thing's getting smaller and smaller, but it's also it's dark. It's hard to see. And then he starts realizing on both sides there's a huge ditch on one side and there's a dangerous swamp or bog on the other. And you can already get the ideas of this idea you can fall onto either side and then there'll be consequences or something bad can happen. Right? And this, so, so it's already, he's got all these other things happening, and on top of it, he's got to figure out, okay, I've got to stay on the narrow path. And then, well, how hard is that going to be? The pathway was also extremely narrow, and Christian had to be more careful than ever. For when he tried to avoid the ditch on one side, he almost slipped into the mire on the other. And when he tried to escape the mire, he had to be careful not to fall into the ditch. I heard him sigh bitterly. For besides the dangers mentioned above, the pathway was so dark that he often, when he lifted up his foot to go forward, he did not know where or upon what he should set it next. Okay, so you got to use your imagination here, but I, I can, all right? Um, but it's, it's <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be degrading here, but, you know, so, but again, you, it's, it's the ditch, okay? And it's so dark, again, is that he doesn't need, you know, it's almost like, um, I don't know if you think about, if you've ever been on ice before, right, ice? This is not a good analogy, but you get the idea, okay, on something that's either slippery, you have to step on ice that basically there's water or something underneath it, and you kind of put your foot on it and see if it will take your weight kind of thing. You're inching, right? You're inching, okay? Remember, it's dark already, so again, this is really, really slow progress. And the idea is that you've got to keep your balance, don't fall into extremes on either side, and you're just moving really, really slow because, again, um, you, don't, you're, you don't know. Uh, it's hard to move forward. Now, the, the, on page 13 of your outline, it gives you some descriptions about the, 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 the ditch on the right. The ditch represents falling into sinful error. We stumble into its deep chasms when we are blind to the truth and believe what is false. We fail to recognize and acknowledge sin as sin. We under, uh, underestimate the power of temptation and treat sin at light or casually. The second side on the, 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 the quagmire on the left, the quag is the opposite side of the path represents being overtaken by sin and overwhelmed by it with doubts and fears and guilt. We sink into its mire when we're beaten down by temptations, when we're weighed down with despair and excessive sorrow. It's almost like the slough of despond bit there, kind of, we already talked about that there, all right? And of course, it makes a reference to David, you know, again, his struggles and his fall into sin there. And then on page 14, uh, you have point three, the danger of overbalancing. Christian has great difficulty in maintaining balance through overreaction, either, in either direction, to the right or to the left. Strict avoidance of the ditch of error may lead to being drawn into the quagmire of moral failure and vice versa. And so there's a complexity here. And then we already mentioned here in point four, the danger of uh, blackest darkness. I did that on purpose. I mean, because again, if you've ever been in some place that's extremely dark, um, you know, this, it, there's a, um, you can feel the darkness, okay? It's, it's that bad. Um, and so he's moving very, very slowly there. And then on the sub point on that, it says, as Christian continues his dark journey through the valley of the shadow of death, his trouble only deepens. When he reaches the middle of the valley, he comes near the mouth of hell, and here he is tormented with voices of terror and temptation. He feels threatened and senses that both fiends alluring him into sin and flames threatening him with judgment are coming after him. It's just going bad from worse here, all right? I mean, he's already basically trying to stay on the path. He's moving really slowly, and then things are coming at him, right? Things are coming at him. And so um, the question is going to be, well, how is he going to combat this? How is he going to resist this? What is he going to do? 
And so, uh, remember with uh, Apollyon, what was the, the weapon he used to fight against uh, the devil? What was that? The word, the sword, right? He has a sword, right? And so, in this case here, he's had the sword, and the sword, apparently, he feels that this, in this case, the metaphor or the object is not as effective as a tool. Now, there's a little bit of debate about that, because the next weapon he's going to use is all prayer, because it goes back to Ephesians 6, again, here. And so, such were, uh, such, uh, such were the sparks and hideous noises coming out of the hole, which cared not for Christian sword, the word of God, that he was forced to use another weapon, which is called all prayer. May are to times when a person is so distressed that he's not even able to read the word of God, but can only cry out an agonizing prayer to God and cling to Christ. Okay? So again, there's a little slight thing there that just says, well, he can't, he's not, um, he's, he's struggling, he's in despair, he's, he's, uh, his oppression is so great, he has a hard time opening the word of God. But he can pray. Does that make sense? Okay, but of course you already know that that a lot of times our prayers are is is God's word, right? We're praying the promises of God. We're we're uh, praying uh, with what the truth that God's given to us. Now let's talk about these demonic forces here. All right, all right. So the very top on page fifteen. Arriving at a place where he thought he had heard a company of fiends coming toward to meet him, he stopped and pondered what was best for him to do. Sometimes he had half a mind to go back. Then again, he thought that he might already be halfway through the valley. He also remembered how he had already vanquished many dangers and that, that da and the danger of going back might now much, be much more than for him to go forward. So he resolved to persevere in the dangerous path, yet the fiends came nearer and nearer. And so again, this is just like Apollyon. These are, again, demonic forces of some type again. And, um, and they're coming closer. I mean, this, this is very graphic. It's very dramatic, again, that, that, that they're coming closer to him. And so the question is, what is he going to do? He can't leave. He can't retreat. He can't move, really. And so he uses the word of God there. So he cries out to the Lord with the, from the, uh, Psalm 116.4, Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Right? So he cries out to God to, to save him, protect him. And then the fiends, they back off. Okay, the demons, they back off, all right? And so they came no further. Well, you think, well, well that's great. So this is pretty much the, the demons are not going to be a problem now, and he can just kind of inch his way through this dark valley, and it's going to be A-OK. -okay. Not so. All right. So let's talk about the next strategy, the next ploy here. Um, let's see here. I'm gonna move, I'm gonna, I want you to hear what Bunyan's going to say here. Okay, so uh, in the text it says here, one thing I could not help noticing. This is Bunyan writing. By now poor Christian was so confused that he did not know his own voice. I realized this because just as he came to the mouth of the burning pit, one of the wicked ones got up behind him and stepped up softly and whispering suggested terrible blasphemies to him, which he actually thought had come from his own mind. This was a greater trial to Christian than anything he had met with so far even to think that he should now blaspheme him they loved so much before. Yet if he could have helped it, he would not have done it. But had he not the understanding, but he had not the understanding either to cover his ears or to know where these blasphemies came from. Okay, this is this is tough stuff, right? This is again this is a lot of this idea about uh, you know the, the Satan the, the demons are taking a different ploy. They're not doing the direct assault approach anymore. Okay. Uh, and so you can get the, and I've got a little picture here, by the way, since this is a multimedia presentation. Um, 
And I love this woodcut here. I don't know if you can see this is on page of 16. All right. And so here's Christian in his armor. Looks like a medieval knight kind of thing, right? All right. Not a Roman soldier. And, um, and here's this, this demon who comes up right behind him and he begins whispering in his ear. Very subtle, right? very sly, okay? Yeah, and, um, and so the thing again is this, this whole idea about our thoughts, right? Again, that there are times, and Christian's gonna talk about this, is that you will have these thoughts that are sinful. You'll have these thoughts that are blasphemous. You'll have these thoughts where you think like, where in the world did this come from, right? These are the things that we normally don't talk about with other Christians because then they think like, I don't know, what, what would they think? Like, man, you're a sinner. Man, you are, are you even a Christian? You think that or you said that? It's embarrassing, right? Or it's shocking or it's, um, and that's the thing, if you read Bunyan's autobiography, he's very honest. He's honestly he talks about, I love Jesus. I love the word. I love the gospel. And then out of the blue, I will have these terrible, terrible thoughts about God, all right? Um, I mean, I always also think a little bit about, um, well, I don't want to get Luther right now, but you get the idea here is, is that this is, there's a lot of re resources that talk about this type of warfare that I don't hear a lot today about. And so he goes on to say here is that, um, this is a, a point one on page 15. He's confused by whispered suggestions. Now, where I've got uh, some of these sources here, this is uh, taken from Lloyd-Jones from his commentary on Ephesians. And Lloyd-Jones will say this, the devil hurls doubts at us. Some of the greatest saints have been plagued from time to time by horrible thoughts. They were hur hurled at them. Thoughts came into their minds. Suggestions, queries, questions arose. They did, not, they did not want them. They did their utmost to drive them out, but still they came and kept crowding in upon them. Many of the greatest saints have testified to such trials. But there is something even worse. The devil has often plagued some of the noblest saints with blasphemous thoughts. Blasphemous thoughts about God, blasphemous thoughts about, about the Lord Jesus Christ. Horrible, horrifying. And as I was explaining earlier, what the devil hopes and trusts will happen is that the saint under attack will assume that they are his own thoughts and begin to doubt whether he's a Christian at all. And that little line is really important. Okay, let me read that one more time. The devil hopes and trusts will happen is that the saint will under attack will assume that they are his own thoughts and begin to doubt whether he is a Christian at all. Or the devil may hurl words and phrases, oaths, horrible language at the Christian. His mind may appear to be filled with these, but none of them arise from the believer himself. They come from the devil who is trying to shake him, trying to confuse him, trying to persuade him that he is not a Christian and that he never had been a Christian. So that's, that's Lloyd-Jones, okay? Um, then also I have here a quote from um, the Shorter Catechism. There's an explanation on that, uh, an elaboration on it in a catechism form, and they're dealing with the Lord's Prayer. It talks about lead us not into temptation. Um, and so the, the structure of a catechism is question and answer. If you're not familiar with this here. And one of the, the in this, this uh, Reformed Catechism, uh, they say the question is, do blasphemous and atheistic thoughts ever rise in our own hearts? Answer, frequently they do. As our Lord testifies from Matthew 15, 19, out of the heart proceeds blasphemies. Question, when, when, may, when may we charge ourselves with such thoughts as arise in our hearts? Answer, when we make no resistance, but give way to them. Contrary to the command of God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. James 4, 7. Question, 
Can the saints of God distinguish between blasphemous and atheistical thoughts suggested by Satan and those that arise in their own hearts? Answer, yes, they can in some measure. Otherwise, they would frequently be de deprived of the comfortable use of those consolations that are allowed them in the word. Que uh, question number 31, how may they, they know one from the other? Answer, if they are violent and sudden, coming like a flash of lightning upon the mind. If their souls tremble at such thoughts and oppose them with the utmost abhorrence, and if nothing is more grievous to them to be assaulted with them, and that they may conclude that they are rather to be charged on Satan than themselves. All right? Well, this is maybe something new, right? Maybe you didn't thought about, but again, you're familiar with this. I mean, I think, again, and the reason I, I bring this up a lot is because I, I, I was really interested in trying to dig into this because, number one, it's my own, been my own experience. I'm just being honest again. And I'm a sinner, yeah. You know, there are times when terrible thoughts come in my mind and I have to resist them. I The Spirit of God is, is identifying that this is not of God. This is not of, of the Word. And just because I think it, it ain't true. Because that's a problem, of course, in, in our day and age, is that if I think it, it must be true. And you think about how many people give in to sin because it, well, it's, I'm thinking it, therefore, somehow, it's, it's who I am. All right? And so you have, again, a lot of other resources that tie into this. We have uh, William Gurnall. Uh, Brett kind of pointed me to, to Gurnall, a quote from him as well. And he has a lot on this, by the way. He says, faith teaches, that the Christian to teaches the Christian to discern and distinguish those fireballs of temptations that are thrown to us at his window by Satan from those sparks of corruption that fly from his own heart and take fire in his own sinful heart. And certainly those blasphemous thoughts of which many gracious souls make much sad complaint will be found very often of the of former sort, as may the more properly appear. Uh, and he goes on, the, uh, and you can read this, but you get the same idea over and over and over again. Okay? And we talk about the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, right? I mean, all the pieces of the armor of God tie into this, this resistance and this identification that this is Satan trying to attack me, Satan trying to stumble me, Satan trying to you know, insert something in my, my thinking that is, um, that is not true. Yes? Okay. Um, and so some verses that would tie into this in some form or fashion... Um, you have here, of course, uh, you know, uh, Matthew 16, which is a great passage of Scripture. Remember this? Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am, right? And, they, and so, you know, of course, Peter, representative of the, uh, the apostles, uh, uh, the 12, says, you know, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, you know? And, of course, and then, uh, then a little bit later on when Jesus talked about going to the cross, uh, Peter says, you know, it won't happen to you, Lord. You know, this is not, you're obviously wrong, apparently. And then Jesus says to Peter, we, uh, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's business, but man's. Um, then you have Acts 5.3 here with Ananias and Sapphira. Here's Peter speaking to Ananias. It says, uh, but Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the peace of the land? You have 2 Corinthians 10.4 and 5 here, which again ties in spiritual warfare for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking thought, every thought captive, to the obedience of Christ. And I included especially uh, Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. 
You know, the heart is deceitful above all else. Why in the world would you trust your own heart? Right? <coughs> but he who walks wisely will be delivered. All right, so we've already kind of I've given some uh, points on this. I wanted to um, ask some thoughts, feedback on this, questions, insights. I know Breck has them. I trust him. Jeff's not here this morning. Really, no, no thoughts on this at all. Wow. This... Liars? No, I'm sorry. Uh... Yeah, I mean, this is important to me. Again, we talk about spiritual warfare. Um, having a clean mind, having a sanctified mind, right? Uh, having a mind, uh, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit uh, transforming our mind constantly. Again, I'm amazed of the lies and the voices and all the corruption and all the things that we're surrounded by. I mean, I, in fact, if, as, I get an old, if I, as I get an older, as I've gotten older um, and learned to speak properly, um, you know, that trying to guard my heart and my mind from the things of this world. You think about through the internet, through the TV, through media, I mean, everything around us is all anti-God, is all blasphemous, is all, I mean, literally, it's all, again, opposed to, to Christ. And so guarding my mind, guarding my heart by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God and so on is so important these days. And it's amazing how careless we are with this. And I'm speaking to myself here first because, again, most of my Christian life has been carelessness, has been neglect of understanding these things and challenging these things and putting on that helmet of salvation. Right? Yeah, Rick. <clears throat> Just to reiterate things that we talked about when we went through the armor, you know, again and again, I was pointing out that all of the armor is dealing with protecting the mind in some way, shape, or form. And it's all coming back to doctrine in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And that all of our warfare is a battle of the minds. So this is really getting into the heart of what spiritual warfare is all about. You know. And as scary as it is to think the enemy can, can put thoughts in my mind, the enemy has that ability, and I have to try to discern which ones are mine and which ones are the enemy's. But think about this as well, that God has a mind too. Yeah. And God has given us his mind. And that is the word. Yeah. And there's no doubt that that's his mind. Yeah. We might not know when the enemy is giving us his mind. Yeah. But we have the mind of Christ. Yeah. Right here. So if we go to that, then that is our armor. Right. That is our helmet. That's our breastplate. That's everything. And that's what this is all about. Right. Putting on his mind so as to resist the enemy. Sure. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right, so um, after that, we're on page 18 here. It talks about when a Christian had traveled in this disconsolate condition, right? So he's struggling, right? He's, he's, uh, he thought he had, and it's interesting is that in this time of difficulty and trial and so on, he hears a voice, right? Christian hears a voice. And the voice says, uh, and it's in front of him, he hears a man speaking, he says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. All right, so, and I love the imagery there because, again, a lot of times when we're in this darkness, when we're struggling, when we're going through these hard times, the, 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 the usual temptation is the attitude is that we're alone. We're alone. I mean, the worst thing is thinking, like, God has abandoned me, right? Or, God, where are you? All right, or we think, again, is that I'm the only one 
who is going through this particular time of darkness and difficulty. And yet, here's another fellow pilgrim who's just a little bit of ahead, who's again speaking the word of God, all right, affirm and basically saying, and it's light, it's encouragement, it's hope for this for this for a Christian, all right. And this is again the top, the, the the importance again of fellowship and uh, the church, because again we're all struggling at times in different places and so on, and we need each other. Again, for affirmation, for encouragement, for accountability, for that those the that those relationships that God's going to use to help us bring us through these difficult times. Yes. Okay. So if we suffer, you know, we're not meant to suffer alone. Goes on to say here. So he's this is on page eighteen. He's encouraged by that. I'll just move this really quickly to take a time. Um, he Christian realizes he's not alone in the valley. Uh, he realizes that God is with him and watching over him, even though he cannot perceive it. And a little line that's really important. God, he realizes that God is with him and watching over him, even though he cannot perceive it. Okay? Because lots of times, again, when we trust about in our feelings, a lot of times our feelings are wrong. Right? Because, again, God's word saying, I will never leave you or, or forsake you. Right? And it may feel like, again, I'm alone. It may feel like, again, it's a lonely place and I'm struggling and I'm isolated and there's no help, but yet God says, I'm with you, right? He goes on and says here, um, Christian realizes that a fellow, fellow pilgrim is close by. He can gain the blessing of company and consolation if he can meet up with his brother. And we'll see this uh, gentleman here in a little, little bit. Okay, so he gets to the end of the valley and there's light. Okay, so this whole thing about morning, think about darkness. And if you're in the early morning, the lights, the sun's coming up. And that's what, ha- that's what happens. And so he's at the end of the valley and he's able to look back and see where he's, where he's come through. All right. And if you go on to... Uh, into this, this is back in the story here. Um, now you look back, not of any desire to return, but to see the, by the light of day what hazards he had gone through in the dark. So he saw more perfectly the ditch that was on the right and the marsh that was, that was on the left, and how narrow the path was between them. Now he also saw the hobgoblins and satyrs and dragons of the pit far, far off, um, for after daybreak they did not come near him. Yet they were revealed to him according to what is written, he discovereth deep things out of darkness and bringeth out of light the shadow of death. And so it's interesting, again, is that God's bringing him through this time. Okay, And that's the whole thing about perspective, is that sometimes, again, and God does bring us through a hard trial or a difficulty and so on, you can look back and say, oh, that's what it was, right? Or that, you have a better understanding, again, about why. Now, uh, before we get into that, there's two other things that, that he's going to see here, that Christian's going to see here. And it's interesting. Uh, they're just, and they're just, there are two giants. And says, um, I'll just read some of this here. It says, In this light, therefore, he came to the end of the valley. And I saw in my dream that the end of this valley laid bones, blood, ashes, and mangled bodies of pilgrims who had gone this way before. Uh, and while I was wondering about the reason for this, I saw little ways in front of me a cave where two giants, Pope and Pagan, had, had lived and by whose power and tyranny the men whose remains lay were cruelly pulled to death. And so this uh, graveyard, so to speak, has been the victims of Pope and Pagan. Pope and Pagan, all right? And so I want to talk about a little bit about this because, again, these are, these, are, these are the enemies of Christians, all right? And so I want to talk about Pagan here first because he's going to be, uh, you know, from Bunyan's perspective, he's going to say that Pagan has been dead for a long time, all right? And yet I'm going to make the assertion that Pagan has arisen, Okay, pagan has arisen in the sense that 
Uh, for example, John MacArthur, I recently was hearing him talk about this issue, and he would say that the American church at this time is like the American church was in the first century. That the culture is like the Roman Empire. The, pag the, the pagan culture uh, has returned, so to speak. All right, and I, I agree with that, by the way. Now you think, well, what does that look like? What does that mean, okay? And I've just got some, st some, some things here, for example, I, and I'm going a little dramatic here, but I'm gonna bring this up here, is the, the resurgence of, uh, of Wicca or paganism. You think of witchcraft and things like that. But there's been this, this, this um, you know, let's take a step back. You know, God has made us to be worship worshiping creatures. We must worship, all right? And you already know, again, is that if you do not worship the true God, then you worship an idol. Right, and the, that idolatry takes many forms. It could be money, fame, sex, pleasure, whatever. Right? It could be false religions. Okay, and we've seen as the culture has become more pagan, more secular in America, in the West, again, that they're turning to alternative spiritualities. Right, mm -hmm. and they talk about in this article I've given to you here is that um, that because of uh, COVID, for example, and also just because of the the, the deconstruction of the culture has become more unstable, more scary, and more uh, and people are struggling with depression and different problems. They have to turn somewhere, right? And so we've seen this resurgence again of um, of pagan religions. Okay, and which Wicca would be a part of that, all right? And so, and if you don't believe me, you can read these articles here that the, for example, if you look down kind of like near the bottom of that page here, it says, we're a growing share of Americans, over a quarter of adults who call, who call themselves spiritual but not religious. And a tw in 2017, Pew Research survey also found that 62% of Americans say that they hold to new age beliefs, including a belief in astrology, uh, psychics, and the presence of spiritual en energy in inanimate objects. And again, you thought the New Age movement, you think about the 70s, you know, that was all very much in vogue here. But again, alternative um, worship of, again, idol, it could be, again, material things, but also, again, uh, take your pick, whatever religion suits your fancy. It goes on to say here on page 20, um, over the past five years, uh, Hannah Gre uh, Gregan, 23, has been practicing uh, manifestation, the spiritual practice of turning thoughts and intentions into reality. And I didn't think this was a real thing. I mean, I was doing research on this, and I came across this thing called manifestation, all right? And so basically, it's Eastern thought, where, again, your thoughts determine reality. Your thoughts, your meditations, your desire, somehow, again, you're like God. This should sound familiar to you. And if you uh, do certain things, somehow that becomes real, right? Um, so, for example, I was watching this. Um, I was at the gym, and they had the, this game show on, and they had these two contestants, and one of them, uh, well, one of the guys was, uh, um, his occupation, he was a meditator, apparently. I don't even know what that is, a meditator, all right? And so they're playing this game show, and, and this, this guy's going like, they're winning, okay? The two guys, they were winning the game, right? And they, so the, the host was asking the, the one guy who's the meditator, said, well, well how did you, you know, how, you're doing really well. You're making a lot of money. Um, how did you know this was going to, you know, uh, work? He says, because I visualized it. Okay, I could see it. You know, I saw us, I was meditating, and I saw my friend and I, we were in, in the game show, and we were answering all the questions right, and we were winning a whole bunch of money, and it's happened because I saw it, I visualized it, and now I've actualized it, right? And there are people, again, that this is, this, and this is Eastern thought, right? Because this in our culture is that if I feel it, it must be true. If I think it, some, that d defines and determines reality. Okay, so 
this pagan, uh, you know, this return to paganism um, is a huge problem in our culture. It has many, many manifestations. So uh, it's out there, and a lot of it's a reaction. Supposedly, I, again, if you look at see the very last paragraph there, um, leaning to spirituality and manifestation as a, as a practice isn't anything new. Uh, it says the move from institutional re organizational religions has been going on for at least the last hundred years. The baby boomer generation was the, the one of the first to really look for spiritual meaning out of the confines of classic institutional religions. And then we've got the new age movement as well. I feel that manifestation falls into this to some extent. All right. So um, paganism is alive and well. It's a giant. And again, it's a, you could make the argument uh, that it wants to eventually destroy the church. Amen. You know, I mean, we've talked again about the, the coming threat of persecution. Well, there's a ideology and there's a spiritual world behind that. Right. Then we have Roman Catholics. Okay, so the Pope, all right? And obviously you know that, again, we have talked about the Protestant Reformation, right? We've talk been talking about, and uh, in Bunyan's time, 17th century, uh, you've had the conflict between Rome and the Protestants, right? And uh, you think about in England, which uh, Bunyan's from, you got uh, Henry VIII, right? Basically breaks off from the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, he dies, then Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, right, takes over, right? And then again, kills a lot of the Protestant leaders and so on. And eventually Elizabeth will take over, right? And so um, the, uh, in Bunyan's description, it's really kind of funny and interesting and sad that, that uh, the Pope uh, is kind of like this decrepit old man. He's in the cave, you know, he's got like basically, uh, and he kind of like, um, he wants to get you, but he can't get you, right? He's kind of like, come here, little boy. Okay, and... Um, and <laughs> <laughs> and he has a little, and he, and he has the line there, which is kind of, um, kind of a. He says here, uh, Pope says, "You will never mend until more of you are burned." All right. So here's here's this this decrepit religion, basically saying, you know what, you guys will never change until I kill more of you. All right. But you already know if you keep up with Roman Catholicism as well that it's a mess. It's a mess. Pope Francis, and you study a lot of this, it's tied into the, the culture and the spirit that we, the age we live in. That relativism and that um, spiritual ambiguity is causing huge problems with Roman Catholicism. Okay? And of course, it has no gospel. All right? So my point here is these two giants okay, who were kind of decrepit and weak in Bunyan's time are live and strong in our time. And you could throw other giants in there as well and um, that are going to be a threat to pilgrims. Right? Any thoughts on this? Comments? You guys are real quiet today. I'm going to bring treats next time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do something controversial. All right. All right. Thank you very much. Be blessed.